Well, Thank if you, you turn in your Bibles with me, I'd appreciate that. Thank you. John chapter 9. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is his day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, No, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes opened, they demanded. He replied, The man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, Well, how can a sinner do such miraculous signs? So they were divided. Finally, they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, He is a prophet. The Jews still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son? They asked. Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? We know he is our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind. But how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for, they alre for already the Jews had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Christ would be put out of the synagogue. That was why his parents said, He is of age. Ask him. A second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I have told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciple too? And they hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciple, we are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. 
the man answered. Now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly man who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Jesus heard they had thrown him out, and when he had found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me, so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. The man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, What? Are we blind too? Jesus said, If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. This is the word of the Lord. <clears throat> when you read the Bible that way, you can't miss. All of that was right. Now you start with fallibility, me. It's the comments. We hope it agrees with Scripture, right? It, it's a remarkable passage. It's more difficult uh, than at first. The theological uh, fits this has given me uh, are undeserved because he gives a straightforward narrative uh, and we could follow that very easily. Lots of narrative going on. But when he comes to the uh, verse 35 through the end of the chapter and he drives his points home, Christ, and we move just from the physical healing of a man to a man coming to know Christ, because when he got his physical healing, he still wasn't saved. There's a lot of folks that want God to make them well. They're not sure they want to go to heaven that bad. Not if they have to believe in Jesus. Have you ever heard folks, I want a blessing. Do you want the blesser? Lord, give me a blessing. He said, you first of all need the blesser. And sometimes he withholds blessing like he did to Job. And so in the narrative, we're going to find Jesus looks up a man, and he has to tell his own disciples that he's not in the condition they think he's in for the wrong reasons. Gives them his mission. He does what Jesus says. The neighbor said, this can't be the guy. This is the one that he looks like the guy that used to always be blind. Can't be him. They got into a dispute. Word got around to the Pharisees. They interview him once. It can't be Jesus, because you know God would never do anything on the Sabbath. I hope he sustains the moon and the stars and the universe. Don't take a vacation today, Lord. We need you. I hope you keep my lungs going. Of course, you, according to the rabbis, you couldn't spit on the Sabbath. They called that irrigation. They really did. It sounds preposterous, 
But they had a myth that a man's saliva, a father's saliva, could bring healing to his son. A woman's saliva was no good. So they never made any perfumes out of women's saliva. It was just the man. And uh, so the Pharisees interview him once, and uh, they weren't satisfied. They said, we're going to talk to his parents. We don't believe this. He wasn't blind all of his life. We've got to talk to his parents. And sure enough, the parents said, yep, he was blind. But they perceived we can't tell them that we know who did it because they might drop our church membership. And so for fear of the church leaders, the synagogue leaders, uh, they said, ask a boy. And they go to the boy again, second interrogation, second interrogation. And then it gets hot and heavy. This ignorant guy that's supposed to be suffering because he sinned so bad, or his folks, he starts saying stuff that upsets the theological establishment. They kick him out of the synagogue. Jesus looks him up and said, uh, let's have a conversation. And up to this time, he's never seen Jesus. He just, last time he heard Jesus, he was told to go to the pool of Siloam. There he got his vision, but Jesus disappears. He's never seen the one that made him well. And so uh, all he is is physically well, but still going to hell. He's got eyesight, but you can't go to getting physical healing doesn't mean you know God. And so he introduces himself to who he really is. And so let's follow a little bit of the narrative uh, and just not be too redundant. Give me about 10 minutes on narrative, and then we'll try to figure out what in the world is Jesus doing. I think what G three things are happening in the chapter. God is giving revelation. Uh, men are giving rejection. And one man gives a reception. It's the same thing that's going on right now in the world. God is revealing himself to the world. And he said in Hebrews, in times past, God spoke by prophets. He spoke in wonders. He spoke in signs. He spoke in the Exodus. He spoke in the plagues. God's been active in history for as long as we've got history. Revelation. God is revealing his power, his eternal godhood and power in creation that he's made. And the stars are shouting out the glory of God according to Psalms 19. God has given us prophets. He's given us scripture. He sent God the Son. So God says, I've been talking a long time. I've been revealing myself, which way do you want? Dreams, I've given dreams. Visions, I've given them. You want prophets, I gave them. You want miracles, I gave them. You want the Messiah, I gave him. What's your problem? What's your problem? You keep rejecting, and you get this attitude, show me, show me, show me. And he's saying, you don't see or comprehend anything I'm doing, do you? Because no one is so blind 
as he who refuses to see. Show me, show me what take your hands off your eyes. And God says that mankind has much deeper problem than physical blindness. Matter of fact, God may have allowed you to be physically blind to show you a manifestation of his glory that those who have physical sight can never see. Fanny Crosby, the blind songwriter, she said, God did me one of the greatest favors by letting me be born blind because she said, you've got to remember the first person I'll ever see will be Jesus. I won't see anybody else, but Jesus will be my first glimpse of a person, and that will be in glory. And I'll have eyesight. said, I've seen more blind than most people have ever seen because I have the eyes of my heart open to behold who Christ is. I love these words here. Who sinned? This man or his parents? Because the rabbis believed that if a baby was too active in the womb on the Sabbath, they might be born with a curse. Uh, if the baby had been conceived on the Sabbath, there might be a curse because the parents were a little too frisky on the Sabbath. They had all kinds of theories. They had a theory, the Essenes group down in Masada believed in reincarnation uh, of all things. And, of course, reincarnation says you always come back worse or better based on how you lived your previous life. That's why some of us look so bad. <laughs> we had a previous life where we didn't do right. And we come back looking like we do. Uh, we used to be beautiful. And uh, whatever we are now, let's go ahead. Let's keep. And so they said... Uh, it was not this man that sinned. Jesus said, I mean, the disciples, they're picking up on the rabbinical teaching. Well, somebody sinned. Well, sure, the man sins, his parents. But Christ said his physical condition is not a result of any personal sin. I must say this. You can be very judgmental of people's problems. Well, uh, you wouldn't be in that mess if you'd not done something wrong. Uh, you wouldn't be poor had you not done something wrong. Uh, I know why you're sick, because you see, God wants all of his kids well. Is that right? Because I, I got a name it, claim it ministry. And uh, uh, how do you think it would be, be a blessing from God for someone to be blind? Jesus said... It wasn't because anybody sinned, but it was because God wanted your condition to give him an opportunity to work. It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Think of what circumstances God finds us in many times. Sometimes God's got to take away enough for you to really watch him work. A lost job, a lost marriage, a lost health, a lost, lost, lost. And he said, don't panic. I, I'm even in control whenever things going bad for you. And I may weave it for my good. I may step in and uh, 
I allow a lot more. What we wind up doing is we become Job's comforters. Oh, oh, we know you must have sinned. Oh, is that right? So you know what this is about. No, I'm just judgmental. If you're not well, you're in sin. If you're not prospering, if you're not driving a nice car, where did you get that theology? My Savior never owned a car. Come on, prosperity folks. And I want to drive a nice car. And I do. Church gave it to me. I'm not trying to make you poor, but hear this condition. You've got to know your bad circumstances is just fertile ground for God to do something. God knew that condition. God allowed it. And now Jesus steps in and says, well, hello, blind folks are no problem to me. And you don't have any problem that's a problem to God. He's able to change it like that. He's able to bring healing. He's able to give you a job. He's able to save a marriage. He's able to help you go on without a marriage. No matter, no matter. He said, I've come to do the works of God while it's day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. So the theme of the chapter is the light revealed himself, and some chose to stay in the dark. And one man, one man got his sight back, got his sight back. And so the narrative goes, Jesus, of all things, twice in the Gospels, he spits on the ground, makes mud, and puts it on the eyes. Now, now don't start a mud ministry. <laughs> God's methods are just weird. He even uses people like you. See, we're God's mud application. God made you out of mud, you know. Yeah. Okay, if you think it's a swamp, that's all right. You're wrong. If you think something blew up and you were born, you look like you blew up. <laughs> no, God took dust and he shaped it, breathed into it the breath of life. Huh? We're just walking clay pot pots, just, and some of us are cracked. I mean, and, and so God uses us human instruments made of clay, flesh and bone, that will perish. John Patton, he wanted to go to the New Hebrides Islands way back down by Australia. And when they were getting ready to commission him to go from Scotland, one man jumped up and he said, this is foolish. This is foolish, John. You will go over there and you will be eaten by cannibals. You must stay in Scotland. This is a waste of your life. And John Patton looked at him. He said, and you, sir, will stay in Scotland and be eaten by worms. Does it matter how we go? It matters what we do. We're just clay heading back to the grave, heading back to the grave. If that depresses you, I'm sorry, but it's the fact. I'm not real depressed because I got a new body on reservation right now. It's on hold. I got to get my spirit to catch up with it, but it's waiting. It's waiting. Well, the neighbors, oh, they say, man, uh, we don't know, is this the same guy or not? And then we get the first interrogation. You got to bring in the religious folks when you have a miracle. So uh, 
See, dead religion is only up on rules. It can never have enough power to change it. But man, can they manufacture the rules? Uh, the Pharisees come to the man and, hey, uh, we heard you got healed, but it was on the Sabbath, and, and uh, that's wrong. So they asked the man, how did you get your sight? Verse 15, he said, well, he put mud on my eyes. Uh, there, there's a miracle healing in the mud. See, some folks, go, they go zonkers over methodology. They never look at who the source is. Did the rake do the job or the man that holds the rake? Oh, we're worshiping that. If I play a guitar and wear Levi's, that'll make us grow. Well, wear Levi's, honey. I wore them ever since high school. Anybody else? No, no, no. Banging the guitar won't bring revival. And I can play a guitar. Takes a little bit more. God uses all kinds of means. But you better be sure God is wielding the instrument. And when Jesus takes mud, you can get somebody healed because it's the potter behind the mud. That's the one. If you miss that, you're not listening. That was profound. <laughs> uh, see, I'm back. I'm going to tell you when you ought to get loud, when you ought to get good. I'm going to put up this. All right. I'm going to shout and crowd back. Uh, the Jews, when they heard this man, they said, uh, this man can't do this. He's a sinner. And there was a division. There usually was when the Pharisees showed up. So they uh, told the man, uh, what, what do you say about him? He said, he's a prophet at least. I mean, I'm not a, a rabbi, but I think he would at least be a prophet. He said, yes. He didn't know. He's the one all the prophets have been talking about. And so they didn't believe it, so they said, we better talk to his parents. And the parents did like many of you. You know more than you're willing to tell others you know. And uh, they, when they were interrogated, they knew in the narrative, it says, they knew they would be kicked out of the synagogue if they spoke too much. So they said, uh, uh, he's of age, ask him. Ask him. They, they want to get out of this quick. But it wasn't us. Nobody in the temple site if this boy, how old he happens to be at this time, nobody up to now has ever been able to do anything. Whoever this was, we know our boy could see. So they come back, second interview. They're not pleased. So verse 24, it says, second time, they come back. Okay, what are we going to talk about? Give glory to God. Doesn't that sound wonderful? Give glory to God, young man. But watch, watch the hook. Now, you follow this. Look at it. Give glory to God. Oh, okay. Watch, watch now. We know that this man is a sinner. Now, give, son, give God glory. That's just, they're setting him up. Agree with us, and you'll give God glory. He's a sinner. We don't want you to be theologically ignorant. Let us inform you. We're the specialists in the law. We're the, we're the conservatives. We're not liberals. We're straight on theology. Give glory to God. This, this man's a sinner, right? Watch now. It's, it's wonderful what the ignorant and untaught figure out. He said, well, whether he's a sinner or not, one thing I know, I was blind and I can now see. 
I, I'm telling you, uh, it helps to have some experiential Christianity. We used to sing a song with black folks taught us, you wasn't there, you weren't there, but I know what happened to me because I was there. Well, that's experiential. Yes, honey, getting saved is experiential. Well, I, I've, never, uh, I've never been changed since I met him. I know because you've not met the one that's the change agent. He changes you. And, and if he kicks over a barrel of honey in your heart, joy, forgiveness, peace, don't tell me it's like taking a drink. Oh, well, I believed on him, but uh, nothing's happened. Uh-uh, uh-uh. If you understand, I'm forgiven. I'm accepted. Messiah bore my sin. And when you, once their eyes come on, open, you remember when old Jonathan ate that honey, it said his eyes lit up. When you get the honey of salvation, there will be an experiential component. I find people that get nervous about experience are usually people that don't know him. They've got some facts. They've got some, matter of fact, they can even quote the gospel. Jesus born, died, Buried, rose again. I'm going to heaven. Why, the devil can quote that. False teachers can quote it. A lot more. Getting saved is faith in a person, not in just a little formula. A person saves. A person saves. Not just facts. Facts about the person ought to be accurate. But Jesus saves. Jesus. A person saves. A real person. Well, uh, they start in, give glory to God. He blows it. He said, well, I, uh, I just know I was blind. I can see. What did he do to you? They, well, I've told you once, and you don't believe it. And, and they begin to revile him. And he said, he, he got he really upset. He said, oh, you guys are fixing to join him and to start following him. And, and they broke out with hives. I mean, they are, I believe they're rabid at this point. You've got to be kidding Moses is our teacher. We follow Moses. Don't dare identify us with this man. So uh, they go on down. They said, this man, in verse 29, we do not know where he comes from. Why, this is an amazing thing. You don't know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes? We know that God doesn't hear to outrageous sinners. Uh, it, that's a broad statement. Basically, men that don't know God, walking with him, we're all sinners. But in the sense he's using it, God doesn't hear wicked men. He, he hears men that are worshipers of him and who are righteous. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a blind man. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Now the theological problem, they kick him out of the synagogue. And now you've got you to gotta have your Bible open, and you've got to walk through me with it through this 35 to 41, because I would have never wrote this, and I would have never picked this chapter to preach. That's why when we pick Bible books, it's kind of sink or swim, because we don't know every passage before we get it. There's a tension that goes on here that's amazing. Follow me. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? 
This is a favorite title. Mark uses it the most, but it comes right out of Daniel 7, where the Messiah is called Son of Man. And it's a messianic term. Do you believe in him? Listen to this man. Who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said, you have seen him. And the guy's like, have I? Watch. And it is he who is speaking to you. Remember, Jesus wasn't at the pool. This is his first time to ever see the man that healed him. And now Jesus is revealing his identity. Hey, I'm the son of man. I'm Messiah. You're not only getting to see me, but you're getting to hear me. And look what he does. Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. And in the Gospel of John, the whole book, he said, I'm just trying to get you to do this. See who Jesus is and say, I believe. And that will give you eternal life. He doesn't mention then you've got to repent and you've got to get baptized and you've got to give to the church and you've got to sell out, clean up, straighten up. Do you believe who Jesus is? Let's start there. You've got to put your faith in Jesus, not in whether you can live it or not, not in all the other things we've added, in all the rules of the religionists. It's not signing up for rules. It's signing up for a relationship. You are who you say you are. And this book is saying that chapter after chapter, he heals the sick, he raises the dead, he does what no other man has ever done, Friend, who is he? Why don't you get it? Why don't you get it? Because you're blind as a bat until God pays you a visit and gives you spiritual perception. And so something happens here. Watch this. He said, I believe. Then Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see and those who see may become blind. What is this? I want the blind to see, and I want those who see to become blind. Wow. I mean, I don't mind making the blind see, but making everybody that can see blind seems weird. He is quoting what he said in Isaiah, and that's quoted in Matthew 13. And it goes this way. This is the commentary. Let me just read the verse to you. He's doing miracles. They're denying him in chapter 12 of Matthew. They say he's demon-possessed. So after Matthew 12, he does no more miracles. And he goes to the parabolic method of teaching because he said, I want to withhold it from you. And when he started teaching these parables, the people weren't getting it. They weren't understanding it. And so he says, uh, you will indeed hear, but never understand, verse 14. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. 
Isaiah 6 said, prophesy to the people that hearing they may not hear and seeing they may see. Make them become dull. Make them dull. And he says, there is a veil over the eyes of Israel. Even today in the reading of the law, their eyes are veiled. They're blind. They can read Scripture all day and never comprehend its message because the veil is only removed in Christ. And then he said, the God of this age is blinding the eyes of those that don't believe uh, that they should see the glory in the face of Jesus. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 2, when we preach, it's like unleashing perfume in the room. And those being saved say, man, that's Chanel number five. That's obsession for sure. Eternity, bring it on. These are men. This is good stuff. Ooh, yes, it smells good. And your same audience says, ooh, that stinks. Wow, who let that skunk in the room? Because to those being saved, the gospel smells like perfume. The aroma of God. Woo you mean to tell me God has died for me, took my place, wants to save. Honey, that smells good to a sinner going to hell. It smells good to know your sins are forgiven. Woo! I want to shout. I want to revert. I would have a conniption here my first time back. I got my strength. <laughs> oh, I want to run. I want to shout. I want to say this smells wonderful. I'm bringing a pardon to a man that's only smelling the smoke of death and eternal fire, and all of a sudden the gospel penetrates. And he said, I no longer smell sulfur. I smell the cross. I smell forgiveness. I smell Jesus. I smell heaven's best. I smell the aroma of salvation. But that man that's perishing says, it's stupid. It's foolish. I don't want it. I don't get it. What do you guys get all whipped up about? Don't you know the 49ers are playing this afternoon? So what? Ain't any of them died for me. Ain't any of them can get me to heaven. And they're in desperate need of this perfume and aroma. But men want us, I see it. Another guy says, I don't know what you're talking about. One over here says, it smells good. Another guy says, it smells rotten. Say, so, well, maybe if we get Billy Graham to you, you'll get saved. Yeah, Billy can't get you saved. Jesus has got to make a visit to you and find you in your lostness, find you in your blindness, physical and spiritual, and Jesus has to pay a visit and do his specialty, giving sight to the blind. Do you want to see him? If you want to see him, that might be the first clue he's come by. If you don't want him, he won't bother you. If you don't want him, he'll pass you by. I said he'll pass you by. Seven billion people in the world the majority of which will miss Christ and go to a crisis eternity. Why you? 
Why did you get it? The Spirit of God and the grace of God alone can make you comprehend who this man is. It's called grace. It's the Spirit giving you perception. It says, but, but my people, but my people were like this ignorant poor beggar. Where did your people come from? Started my family with a German Baptist preacher. Yunt was his name. Had a daughter named Emma. And she became the mother of my father. My father knelt in a cornfield in Oklahoma at nine years of age and received Christ. Then his seven kids, two by death, five by the new birth, all received the same God. Why? Check us out on the chart. You won't see us in any who's who's list. You won't see our pedigree. We're unimpressive, um, unimpressive uh, dirt of the earth, plain folks that survived a depression and landed in California. Men were unimpressive. But I'll tell you what he did. He made us see who Jesus is. He made us see who Jesus is. He gave us that vision. And when we didn't have this world's goods and we didn't have all the training of the rabbis and, and of all the theologians, God looks up poor folk. I think of our black friends, oh, you precious people. I think of your story, how much has suffered in Africa. Oh, how Africa has suffered. How Africa has suffered. Being sold by your chiefs, put on ships, treated like animals. Oh, it's a miracle you still exist. I went to an NAACP meeting, and when the pastor prayed, he said, I thank you, Lord, for all my relatives that didn't jump off the ship so I could be born. And they'd all jumped off. They'd all been drowned, and my whole family tree would have ended in the Atlantic Ocean. But they stayed in a hole in the ground. They slept in manure, and they were sold to do sugarcane fields in the Caribbean. But my people finally landed in Georgia, in Charleston, and I went to the slave market in Charleston where they sold men and women like animals. But I want to tell you, I want to tell you, Jesus made a visit into Georgia. He made a visit in Mississippi. He went down to Louisiana. And when Martin Luther King went over to Oslo, Norway, to pick up the Nobel Peace Prize and nearly killed in Alabama, Birmingham, and he's over there, and uh, a bunch of those who went with him to Oslo said, let's break out and have a party. We brought plenty of, uh, of wine, plenty uh, of champagne, and they're getting ready to pop all the battles, and all of a sudden, his old daddy and mama stood up. His daddy was pastor of Ebenezer before Martin, and he said, hey, uh, before anything served around here called champagne, he said, could we take a moment to say that one day my wife and I knelt on red Georgia soil, and said, Lord, would you give us a child? And if you do, we'll give him back to you. And you saw us in our suffering. You saw us when we couldn't vote. You saw us when all we were good for were cotton fields. And God stooped down on the red soil of Georgia, and he saved us. 
and Alabama. He paid a visit, and he saved us. I've been able to preach the gospel by which this boy said under all. It, it was no champagne that made him what he is. It wasn't champagne that got my people this far. Jesus paid a visit in cotton fields. Jesus paid a, fit, a visit to poor folks, non-theologians, just the poor folks that other folks didn't know what to do but try to persecute them. One people after another, one people. Did you know what they say the, uh, the most common tongue of Christianity is today? The Spanish tongue. They say that more Latinos have come to faith than any other group, and they say China is on its way to outnumber all other countries for converts, that China's up to about 55 million people. The communists can't win when Jesus pays a visit. He can break the fetters. He can save. He can penetrate the darkness. Jesus is walking through history. Jesus is making visits. And when he shows up, your physical blindness can go, but that doesn't matter. It's the eyes of the heart that have to be opened. And then he ends with this, for judgment I came into the world that those who do not see may see and those who see may become blind. Well, that's weird. And he's talking to the religious rulers. I've come that you guys that think you see, I'm going to see that you become blind. Some of the Pharisees, they, they caught on. They said, are, are we also blind? And now Jesus disappoints me here. He ought to say, yeah, you're as blind as a bat. But he doesn't. So, Jesus, you worked me over this week trying to get the meaning. He said, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. What in the world are you saying? What are you saying? One hand, they're blind. They can't see who he is. On the other hand, he says, I want to hold you accountable because you can't see. What is it, Jesus? Here's what I think it is. This is Howard 9-1. Uh, I think he's saying you have physical eyes. You have seen unmistakable miracles. You know this boy's healed. The neighbor says he's healed. The parents say he's healed. The boys told you twice in interviews, I'm healed. And this man did it. And he wouldn't even argue for who he was because he'd never seen him. And of course, he eventually comes to faith, I believe. But said, uh, but you guys have seen Miracles that only Messiah can do. Miracles that only a man from God can do. If your own sons do it, you said in Matthew 12, you say they're used of God. The finger of God is wielding them. But when I did it, you called me a demon-possessed man. You are choosing not to believe in full view of my miracles, just the external when you wind up before the white throne judgment of God, you're going to see me there, and I'm going to say, you saw me down there in Palestine about 30 A.D. You saw so many miracles that had Bethsaida or Chorazin seen them, they would have believed. Had Nineveh seen what I did, they would have believed. But oh, no, with all the evidence you chose I will not say this man is from God, is the Son of God. So you're not blind to the evidence, but you're blind to my identity. 
So listen, here's the line. I want you to get this. Every man is guilty enough, sees enough to be guilty for eternity, but only God can make you see and be saved. But you've had enough information that God will hold you accountable. You saw plenty. You, matter of fact, this sermon, this sermon, if you leave here without Christ, God may play you this sermon at the white throne and say, don't say you didn't hear it. Because your ears have become the new eyes. I save men through hearing, not seeing. They hear, and they're saying, did you hear that preacher tell you Jesus is God? Yeah. Did you hear that preacher say you need to believe in Christ to be saved? Yeah. Were you at that service at C916? Uh, uh, they're in a sanctified hour. They're past 1230. Uh, so you know it's holy ground. And uh, so, did, were you there? Yes, I was. Did you trust Christ? No. Nope. Did you believe? No. Nope. Uh, do you? Did you want me? No. Nope. That's why I'm here to say you've condemned yourself. For when light came, you chose darkness. When I came, you chose to remain in your sin. When I pled with you, you chose not to hear. You put your fingers in your ears, hands over your hand, eyes, and so I'm going to send you to a place where you'll never see again for its outer darkness, and you'll never be bothered with any more information about God. He's going to shut you off from everything you can know about Him, everything you can feel about Him. I'll see the Spirit won't be there. I'll see that truth won't be there. It will only be all men who would rather deny me than to come to him. My only alternative is a place called the lake of fire and outer darkness. Why don't you come to the light? Why don't you get it? What more does God have to do to get you? The choice is left with you. Our Father, if anyone's here without the Savior, I pray they will have heard enough and that the Spirit of God would take what's said and turn the light on in their heart to see Jesus. They've heard more gospel than the people of New Guinea heard until the 20th century. Nobody cared about New Guinea, not until the 20th century. Nobody cared about the New Hebrides where cannibalism was consuming people till old John Patton went down there, buried his wife, hid in trees, hiding from the cannibals, but you finally started saving some. Oh, Father, I thank you that from a mere boy, I've been around people who told me about Jesus. And finally, finally, the light came on on South 15th and Cutting, He's the Son of God. He's my only hope for heaven. He's the only way. Save, Lord. You told your people, I want you to shine as lights in a darkened world. You are the light of the world now. Don't put your light under a bushel. Let men see your good works that they may 
glorify your Father which is in heaven. Father, let light come out of this church. Let every individual here become like a burning candle on the job, at school, in the workplace. Oh, don't let us be afraid to know and say he's exactly who he said he is. He's the Son of God. Only Jesus can save. I'm going to ask some of the pastors, some of the deacons, come stand with me. Come in. If you're a deacon, if you're a pastor, if there's anyone the Spirit of God is tugging at your heart, all you got to do is step out. Step out. And you come to one of these brothers, and we will help you. We will try to explain the Scriptures more fully. If you have any doubts, any questions, we will do our best to explain to you how you can know you have eternal life by the time you go home today. Did you know you can have eternal life before you leave? You can have it before you leave. Just one visit from Jesus and believe, believe, and you'll be born again. You'll be born again today, not tomorrow. Now, don't wait till tomorrow. God owes you no tomorrows. It's now.